Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, TJ. Good morning. I can't wait to do church. We're doing it now. Can't wait to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. We are doing communion. So if you have some communion elements at home or some makeshift communion elements, get those because I want you to participate because today I'm really focusing in on the cross. Hey, before I dive into the message today, I want to, um, I just want to let you know that that there were some awesome people who really helped things out. Let me just throw the scriptures up there real quick so you guys can start looking these up. Uh, John 12, 12 and Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. But while they're getting that up there, I just want to say huge thanks to, uh, to all the guys who came out yesterday, did a lot of cleaning, carpet stuff, and all that. I mean, they were here all day. DJ Bell, Andres Acuna, Jake Nunn, Douglas Pryor, Anthony Miller, Darius Miller, and plus all the people who came to get stuff ready for the egg hunt, um, Adara Akbon, Shauna Miller, Ian Woody, Amber Rogers, Denise Jones, uh, Donna Newton, Lena Rogers. Thank you guys so much for all of your help. Hey, come on, thank our volunteers who gave up so much of their Saturday for, uh, for our ministry. So I'm excited about this week. Uh, I, I'm excited to follow along in the devotional this week uh, that will be on the City Life app, and that's where to find it. So if you don't have the City Life app on your phone, you're going to be missing out. I don't want you to miss out at all. But, uh, but the, primary, uh, the primary symbol of Christianity is what? What do you think it is? It's the cross, the cross. You see a cross, you recognize it as Christian. And it's interesting because in China, they've cut the crosses off of churches. They forbid the cross because they say the cross is offending people, so we can't have the cross uh, out there. But so we're going to talk about the offensive cross today. Now, I'm not talking about, though, even a cross that's on a building. I'm not talking about a cross that hangs around your neck or that adorns the wall in your living room. I'm talking about the real cross. I'm talking about the rugged cross, the blood-stained, rugged, scarred cross of Jesus Christ. And we talk about the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, which is really at the very heart of the gospel. And I, and I just got to say, it's good news. It is very good news. Yet at the same time, so many in our culture interpret it as bad news. So the question is, what is the truth about the cross? And that's the title of today's message, The Truth About the Cross. Now, I, this is one of these messages that I've really wrestled with uh, quite a bit. And, and, uh, and, and I've... I, I, when I originally put all my notes together, as I was looking through the notes, it would be a sermon that would last literally about two and a half hours. And so I, I really had to keep paring it back and back and back, kind of continuing to cut stuff out and to trim it back. And so I, I've, I've wrestled with so much in this particular message. So I'm going to ask that you just focus, that you listen, that you drink it in, that you take this in, and, and let it be massaged into your mind but also let it go into your heart and let it change you personally. So 
Again, today is Palm Sunday, and I just realized a few minutes ago that I'm like a donkey. I, I had never thought about that before, but uh, there's a, actually there's another word for donkey, but we're not going to use that word at all. That's the King James word. But, but uh, this was five days prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I don't know if things come to me when I'm up here out of nowhere, and I think of those things. But, but, uh, but five days prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was this uh, this. A triumphant entry into Jerusalem when Jesus was hailed as the king. And, uh, and this was the capital city of Israel. And, and the prophecies had said that one day there's going to be this Messiah who's going to come into the city of Jerusalem and he's going to reign as the king of kings. And, and, and they believed that this was the day. In fact, I want you to look at it in John chapter 12, verse 12. I asked you to turn there. I want you to look at this. This is what launched Passion Week right here. It says, the next day, the great crowd. See those words, great crowd? That's a lot of people. We don't know how many people, but it's not a few. It's not just a spattering of people. There's a huge crowd of people. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they said, Blessed is thee! And they said it with their own lips. They prophesied it with their own lips. And these are ordinary people. Blessed is the king of Israel. And that was, that was an incredible moment. And I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what that was like? I, I would have loved to have been there. I've imagined since the days of my childhood what it would have been like just to see Jesus coming into the, uh, into the city of Jerusalem. But what they didn't know is Jesus was not coming into Jerusalem to sit on a throne. And even as I was thinking about this and reflecting over this message this morning, I wondered if the same road that he rode into Jerusalem and was hailed as king, could that have been the same road that he exited Jerusalem to be nailed to a cross? Because that's actually why he came to Jerusalem. But nobody knew it. Nobody knew that it was actually a Roman execution that was about to take place. It's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, welcomed as the king. But it was never in their minds that the king would have to suffer. You see, it, it didn't make logical sense to them. It wouldn't make sense to them. And only his disciples at the Last Supper where communion, the ordinance of communion was actually instituted and established would Jesus fully explain what was about to happen. And still, even after he explained what was going to happen, they still didn't really even grasp it. So from a great crowd, four days later, down to 12, Judas stepped out to betray Jesus, down to 11. And then Jesus went to the garden to pray, and it's down to three people following him. And then after the Garden of Gethsemane, only one person continued following him, and that was Peter. And then Peter denied Jesus three times. And then the king, the king was sentenced to death. And he hung alone on the cross. Mark chapter 15, verse 34 says this. It says, at three in the afternoon, this is five days after this triumphal entry, 
Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt abandoned by his father. Again, catch the picture here. This is only five days after he was hailed as king in a huge parade. And now he's nailed to a tree, abandoned by all. In the devotions that you're going to be reading this week, uh, the, the, several of our church elders have come together to write these, and they are going to take us on the journey of what was happening from Palm Sunday all the way through Easter Sunday. And, and I'm going to tell you, it was a very, very intense week. But the cross is the centerpiece of every single thing that happened. And see, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that God will forgive our sins. But there are a lot of people in our culture who do not believe that. In fact, they think it's ludicrous. Some even think it's sinister. So today, I want you to open your hearts. I also want to open your minds because I want to educate you so you can understand and maybe help talk to some people about these things. But also, if you're struggling with any of these questions about why do we have to have the cross... Maybe God will speak to your own heart and you'll begin to understand and digest this and you're going to leave here lifted up and encouraged and strengthened because of what Jesus did for you. So why did Jesus have to die? Well, he had to die really because one of the reasons is because we needed a mediator, someone to come between us and Father God. This past week, I was reading, I was doing the exciting reading through the book of Job, and, and if you ever read through the book of Job, you know, the first chapter and the last chapter are spectacular, and the rest of it is like, whoa, this is some intense reading. But did you know that Job is the oldest writing that's in the Bible? It's the oldest. Some people think Genesis is, but that's not correct. Uh, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy. He wrote those uh, uh, later on, and... The original writing for our faith is the book of Job. It's written in this incredible Hebrew poetry. And as I was reading through it, I stumbled upon a passage, and I, I stopped, and I read it, and reread it, and looked at it in every version of the Bible that I had. And, and, and it, it really struck me, because here in the oldest writing of our faith, we see the cry of a hurting man, Job, and he's, he at that time was even knowing that he couldn't approach God. And in this scripture, he's, he's begging. He's longing for a mediator who would eventually be able to, to come between us and God, and that's actually Jesus Christ. He right there, the cry of his heart is something that happens in the gospel. I just want to read it to you, Job chapter 9, verse 32. Just listen to this. It says, God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If, there, if only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. The mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. And then I could speak to God without fear, but I can't do that in my own strength. Wow. Think about that. That's what life was like before Jesus Christ. We need a mediator, and thank God. God for the cross, we have that mediator, and we can all go to God on our own. But I know people still ask, well, why did really Jesus have to die? And, and, and in, throughout my years of ministry, when people ask questions about God, uh, probably 
I, I hear that question more, more than I would ever hear the question, is there really a God? People will say, why did this have to happen? Why did he literally have to die? So today we're going to learn some truths about the cross. And again, I hope your heart is impacted and changed. And here's the first one. Here's the truth. One of these truths, and it's this, and I want you to hear this. Real forgiveness demanded costly suffering. And not only demanded it, it demands it, present tense. Hear these words again. I'm going to put it in present tense. Real forgiveness in anything demands costly suffering. Now, I, I want you to imagine that you have this wonderful house that the, with, a, with, a, with a gate and a wall out front, and it's just something that's spectacular. And you have a friend who comes over to your house, and they borrow your car, and they have to back out your driveway. But they're backing out your driveway, and when they do, they crash into your gate, and the gate is smashed, and it collapses, and it falls down. And, and as that's happening, part of the wall starts collapsing and falls down, and and. Unfortunately, you don't have any insurance to cover that particular area. Your auto insurance isn't going to cover it, and your, uh, and your homeowner's insurance isn't going to cover that. So what are you going to do? Well, really, you have two options. One is to demand that your friend pay the damages. The second is to refuse to let him pay anything. Now, both of those options, follow me, both of those options, it will cost someone something because debt doesn't just vanish into thin air. It, it doesn't just disappear. Somebody has to pay the price. So forgiveness, what it is, it's actually bearing the cost of the other person's actions yourself. You actually suffer for their misdeed. And that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I remember one time when, when our, our, our boys were playing out in the yard several years ago and, and a neighbor kid was, they were throwing a baseball and when this neighbor kid threw the baseball and it went bang right through one of our windows, crash, smash, bang. And you, you know, the, the old baseball through the window thing. It's, it's like it really does happen in real life and, and that, that whole thing happened and the boy broke into tears and said, I'm sorry, I'll have to pay for it. I'm looking at the kid and like, well, I'm not going to make him pay for it and I'm not going to go down and make the dad pay for it. I'm just going to suck it up and pay for it myself. And, but that was a little window. But at the same time, I had to work through some issues in myself to pay for the window. Of course, I told my boys, do not ever throw the ball toward a window. Don't even stand there, don't you know? And that was about as far as I could do it. And then buy myself a new window and have it installed. So forgiveness, again, is bearing the cost of the other person's misdeeds yourself. So you actually suffer because of their misdeed. Do you understand that? But that's what Jesus Christ, that's what he did for us on the cross. Let's go beyond that. Let's not look at something financial, but let's, let's look at how maybe someone has robbed you of, of, let's say, happiness or your reputation. Someone's robbed you of opportunities, maybe even some freedom. There's, there's really no price tag that you can put on such a thing, and, 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 and yet you still feel feel this sense of violated justice, and that, that sense of violated justice just doesn't go away. And, and, and even if the other person says, I'm really, really sorry, it just doesn't seem to go away. 
See, once you've been wronged and you realize that there's a debt that just can't be dismissed, then there's only two things that you can do. One is to seek ways to make that perpetrator, that person who hurts you, find a way to make them suffer because of what they've done, or you can forgive. You really have two choices, and every single one of you has faced that. You have. You have to deal with it. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is refusing to make them pay for what they did. Did you get that? Forgiveness is refusing to make them pay for what they did. But again, that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. But we like to confront wrongdoers, don't we? I mean, that, that's, that's part of us. And, there are, and actually, there are a lot of good reasons why we'd want to confront people who do us wrong and people who hurt us, uh, because wrongdoers have inflicted damage, just kind of like the example of, of the gate and the wall. It costs something to fix the damage. There's some type of a cost involved. And so there's this desire for vengeance that kind of gets in the way. And that desire for vengeance, and even though you, you may not even realize it's there when you begin to think deeply, it's, it's there quite often. And that desire for vengeance is not about goodwill. It's really about ill will. And, and I know, because I hear this a lot, and I feel this, well, well, I just need to hold that person accountable. We just need to make sure they are held accountable for what they did. But the real motivation, quite often, is you want to see them suffer. You want to see them hurt because you are hurt. Forgetting that Jesus also died to set you free. <laughs> so, again, what is, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is this. It is bearing the cost and absorbing the debt. Instead of making the wrongdoer do it, you're going to absorb the debt of the misdeed yourself. Everyone who forgives any kind of wrong or, or even, a, even a great evil, especially if it's something horrible that's happened to you, uh, the truth is, you're actually going to go through kind of a death and resurrection episode in your life, and you will, in a sense, experience nails and blood and tears and sweat. So, I don't think it should surprise us at all that when God has determined to forgive us rather than to punish us for the ways that we've wronged Him and we've wronged other people that he went to the cross, and he died there for that. And everyone, everyone who forgives actually bears someone else's sins. We do that. On the cross, we see Jesus doing what every single human being has to do if you're going to really genuinely, authentically forgive someone. But, but of course, what Jesus did, it's on an infinitely greater scale. Can you imagine? And, and yet at the same time, Know this, God did not inflict any pain on someone else. What he did is he absorbed the pain himself. He absorbed the violence. He absorbed the evil of the world into himself. So one of the things about God is God does not like the primitive deities that you may have learned about in school that demand that your blood uh, be, be, uh, be given because of their wrath so that their wrath will be appeased and because that's not what our faith is about at all. Although many 
outside of our faith will say, well, that's absolutely what it is, but, it, but it's not at all. See, in our faith, God became human, and God then offered his own blood his own blood. Get that? His own. He didn't demand it of someone else. He offered his own blood to honor moral justice and merciful love so that someday there's going to be a day when God will ultimately destroy all evil. But because of what he did on the cross, he will be able to destroy all evil without destroying us. Now, that's the truth about the cross. There's a debt that has to be paid. God himself paid it. There's a penalty that has to be borne. And God himself took that penalty. And Jesus bore the cost. Jesus absorbed the death. There's another element of truth about the cross that I want to share with you this morning. And that's this, is that real love is a personal exchange. Real love is a personal exchange exchange. Back in the year 2000, I was pastoring a church in Missouri, and, uh, and we were planning something amazing. We were planning this huge Good Friday service, and a lot of people, we found out, were off on Good Friday, and so we were going to plan this noon Good Friday service, and we did, and it was wonderful. Probably had about 300 people come out to it. It was a, just a terrific Good Friday service, and <clears throat> But as we were planning it several months in advance, uh, I, I was working on an illustrated sermon, and I was asking the staff to help put it together with me. And, 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 and it was about the blood of Jesus. It was about the cross. And then into the planning stages, the, the key person who was planning it with me on my staff, he, he came and said, I just, I just need to talk to you. I sat down in my office, and he, and he said, I, I'm, I'm kind of troubled about our Good Friday service. I said, really? Well, I'm what is it? Because I, mean, I, w- I want to hear it. There's, there's a, something wrong. He said, he said to this, he, <laughs> he said, I don't think we need all this talk about the cross and the blood and the gore. It's a bunch of weird stuff. Why can't you just preach about how God is love instead of bringing all this blood into it? And I, I sat there kind of dumbfounded for a moment. They taught me one thing in Bible college that I still remember. It's to always be shockproof. So you never, like, react when a person tells you something like that. You go, okay, well. And I listened to him. I didn't say okay because it wasn't okay what he was saying. But I was thinking, man, this, 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 this dude actually went to the same Bible college as me. So <laughs> he should know. But somewhere along the, somewhere along the way, he began listening to the cries of the culture and the outrage about how Christians celebrate the cross and the blood, and he himself became poisoned by that. And you might be there too. But I want to tell you what my basic response was. It was something to the effect of this. If you take away the cross, you don't have a God of love. I want to explain this to you. In in the real world, that's where we live. In the real world world of relationships, it's it's important to love people, right? Yeah. And, but you, we also have to love people uh, with problems and needs. And when we do, we actually begin to share and change places with them. See, all life-changing love actually 
demands some sort of a personal exchange. Now, if we try to uh, love a person who's all put together and, and they're, they're looking good and they're always happy, it doesn't demand much of you at all. It really doesn't. That's easy. But the wonderful thing about the church is we don't segment ourselves with just the people who have all got it together. We're a big mixed up mess and that's beautiful in the eyes of God. Because when we consider people who are wounded emotionally and people who are broken, people who are rejected, people who are in serious need, I'm telling you, there's no way to seriously love, love, love a person like that and still stay completely emotionally intact yourself. I don't believe it can be done. Because what happens is, if you're going to pull them up emotionally, you have to be willing to be drained emotionally as well. And that's love. That's actually a personal exchange. Here's a good example of that, parenting. If any of you have been parents or currently are parents, you'll understand this well. If you're not a parent, listen well, because Jordan Croissant can tell you all about this one right here. See, children... They come into this world in a state of complete... Oh, Jana can also, of course. Yeah, I'm going to recognize you as well there. Yeah. You understand it more than Jordan. I, I know you do. I know you do. But children come into this world in a state of uh, I, I just, just complete dependence. They simply cannot grow to be self-sufficient and independent and, and, and grow up to be, be wonderful members of society unless the parents are willing to give up a lot of their own independence and freedom for years, for years. And, and, and parents, adults, if you don't do this, what you will actually do is you will hinder your children, and, and, uh, but, but, but you also give up your freedom at the same time. You give up your freedom to work and to sleep and to play and to spin and because, because you have to pour into your children. And the truth is, it doesn't inconvenience you because you know it's the right thing to do. That's love. And if you don't do that, if you don't do that, your children will grow up needy. They'll grow up physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally malnourished. In fact, that's one of the ills of our own societies because in some families there isn't that love and so there's great damage that's happened to a lot of people who are even grown adults today who were never really loved. But if you're going to love, you have to give up a lot. So... As parents, the choice is clear. You either sacrifice your freedom and your livelihood or else forget them. I mean, so it's them or it's you. So to love your children, you have to decrease so your children can increase. Do you understand that? That's the exchange. You have to be willing to enter into uh, the dependency that the child has so that eventually that child can experience the freedom and the independence that you have. See the exchange? Parenting completely alters your life. Real love, it demands a, this substitutional sacrifice. It, that's where that's, it, love, it, it causes you to become 
personally involved with someone else. And in some way, their weaknesses will flow toward you and your strengths will flow toward them. Please understand, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. God became personally involved in suffering the same violence, the same oppression, the same grief, the same wickedness, and the same pain that we experience. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't really think I could serve a God if it were not for the cross. Because in the real world of pain, how would anybody want to worship a God who was totally separate and aloof from that pain and didn't really have a comprehension of it? So you got to see, see it this way, though. God, in His place, God, the creator of the universe, who has existed since the beginning of time, God, in His ultimate place of power, He switched places with the marginalized. Understanding this. The end result is we are seated beside Christ Jesus in heavenly places. But he switches places with the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed. And on the cross, what Jesus did is he won by losing. He triumphed through his own defeat. He achieved power through the weakness of his own servanthood. And he, he, he gave wealth by giving everything away. And that's the truth about the cross. Now, because of Jesus and because of the cross, <laughs> we kind of live in this alternate reality in this world. We do. See, I, I guess in many cases, the Christian church who believes the cross is, is a counterculture. I guess you could call it the counterculture of the redeemed. It's a peaceable kingdom that actually uses a reversal of the values of the world. And the world has their values about power and recognition and status and wealth, but we just do it different. See, in the counterculture of the cross, true Christianity, we look at money as something to give away. We look at power to be used for something to serve somebody else with. And racial and class superiority and the accrual of money and power and, 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 and recognition and craving popularity, it is all, we see it all as the opposite of the mindset of the world because we understand the cross and we embrace the cross. In fact, today we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion. In just a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating. We celebrate through the Holy Communion. And what we also do through Holy Communion is we tell the story about the cross. What does the cross say? The cross says Jesus loves you. And he's willing to forgive you of all your sins. And yeah, the cross is confrontational. But it's a confrontation that every single one of us, everyone has to face. Please know that the cross was the most horrible form of execution that the Romans used for, uh, for criminals. And Jesus endured all of it in our place because of our sins. You see, there are these laws of the universe that say sin must be punished and sin must be punished by death. If you read the Old Testament, you will see that. It's a law of God that cannot be changed. So what is God going to do? He can't change the law, so he finds a way to change it, 
to change the circumstances through giving of himself. Because here's the truth. We deserve the cross. We deserve hell. And we deserve judgment. It's the truth. I said, but I haven't been that bad. Oh, well, one sin. <laughs> one sin. One sin. Now, I know this much. People do not like to hear that they're sinners. People don't want to hear that at all. That's why to so many people the cross is offensive. But the cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evils that dominate so much of my world that I live in and the world that you live in and how we have to operate and function day in and day out. The cross demands. It, it doesn't suggest. It demands a new lifestyle from every single one of us. Sin is an ugly, horrible disease of the human heart. And it affects our mind, it affects our will, it affects our emotions, it even affects our bodies. Every part of our being is affected by sin. Scripture says the soul that sins, he will die. So how in the world do we break the bondage? How can we be set free? Well, God helps us to be set free. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. See that? Whoever is in Christ, in Christ, the old has gone and the new is here. In other words, he's going to make you a totally new person. And that, that crucifixion, it was horrific. The Roman scourge was terrible torture. In fact, I recommend that all believers just endure watching the movie The Passion of the Christ around this season. I've heard so many people say, I can't watch it because it's so painful. Well, I think we should because of that so we can really see what we all deserve. The scourge of the Romans was placing these pellets on the end of these leather straps and they beat a person, they would beat a person and beat them almost to death and that was typically a torture that they would leave on people and then they would go their way, but with Jesus they did the torture and thinking that was going to be good enough, the Romans did and the people said no, we want crucifixion so Jesus not only was scourged but he was crucified which at that time would have been unthinkable they forced Jesus to carry his cross in a very weakened condition out of a road out of Jerusalem to a place called Golgotha. And when he was there, they put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet. But guys, you gotta understand, that was not the greatest suffering. That wasn't the real suffering. The real suffering was when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. That terrible moment, he and his father, God, they were separated because on that cross, God had laid all the sins of mankind on Jesus. Sins that have already been committed and the sins that would be committed into the future, even your own sins were put on Jesus. And God the Father couldn't even look at his son anymore because God saw it all through spiritual eyes. There, Jesus hung on the cross alone, bearing your sin. Yeah, the stuff that you did, he bore the punishment for it. So, 
There is no other way to salvation except through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. But why Jesus? is because Jesus is the only one who lived in this world without sin. And he was more than just a righteous person. And because that's wonderful, and that's why he was eligible to take all the punishment of the world because he had none coming to him. But the beauty of this is him being righteous and us being in him, which is what I shared with you just a moment ago, causes us to be clothed in his righteousness. So guys, think about this. When God sees you, he doesn't see the wretchedness that you know is there. He sees his son, Jesus. You are in him. So when you come to Christ, you come to him through repentance. And, and to repent means that you're going to not only confess your sins to God, but you're going to change the way that you're living. You're going to turn from your sins, and you're going to begin to, to follow Jesus Christ. That's where we say to God, God, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. And I know you are the only one who can change me. And that is the truth about the cross. Will you please lock yourself in with God for just a moment? We're going to come back to our scripture here in just a second. But I want to pause at this moment and ask if there's anyone in here who's not in right relationship with God. You're a sinner and you know it. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment and say, that's me. I need Jesus. Just by lifting your hand, that's what you're saying. If you're watching online, just... Go into the comments section and say, I want to pray this prayer with the pastor. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. If you need Jesus today, you want to give your life to him, ready to be cleansed of your sin, if you're willing to say to him, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of forgiveness, count of three, just, just lift your hand for me. One, two, three. Lift it up for me. Lift it up all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You can put your hands down. Thank you for lifting your hands. Thank you for being honest. Here's what I'm asking that you do. I'm asking that you pray this prayer with me. And in doing so, give your life to Jesus. Congregation, will you pray these words with me as well as an encouragement to other people who are giving their lives to Christ right now in this room? Come on, let's pray this prayer. Everyone pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Wash me in your blood. I give my life to you. I repent. I turn. I turn from my old ways to follow you and to serve you. Put your spirit in me and clothe me in your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Amen. I want you to look in your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Hundreds of years before Jesus experienced the cross, through a Holy Spirit revelation, God revealed to the prophet Isaiah what this would look like. 
I can't imagine the images that came into his mind, but he wrote these words, which are an encapsulation of what happened with Jesus Christ at Calvary. Isaiah 53, we're going to start with verse 3. Follow along with me. I want you to drink in the power of the cross before communion. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind. Jesus was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Isn't that reassuring to you? See? He was like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet, we, or the people, looked at him, and they considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not even open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, Jesus was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Look at this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he, Jesus, will see his offspring, that's us, <laughs> and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Today, I want you to revel in the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. And may the cross of Jesus Christ drive you to take up your own cross and follow Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.